a pleasure to introduce Rabbi Michael Zedek. Uh, he was a reluctant recruit or draftee into being a rabbi, according to uh, what the Jewish Chronicle in Kansas City said about him. A little bit. He's, as the youngest rabbi ever called to serve as the senior uh, rabbi at uh, B'nai uh, Jehuda uh, congregation in Kansas City. He served there 24 years before going on to serve as the executive director of the Jewish Federation in Cincinnati for a few years, uh, and then uh, a dozen years as the senior rabbi at another major congregation in the reform movement at uh, Congregation uh, Emmanuel in Chicago, uh, a place I've actually visited uh, and um, uh, admire deeply. Uh, I got the pr privilege yesterday of sitting in on the workshop that uh, Rabbi Zedek led here, um, and I was immediately transported back some 40 years uh, to a classroom at uh, Garrett Evangelical Seminary where I attended, uh, and uh, uh, the class taught by um, uh, in fact, one of the predecessor rabbis at uh, Congregation Emmanuel, um, uh, Rabbi Herman Shalman, who for nearly 60 years was the rabbi in residence at Garrett Evangelical, as uh, uh, Rabbi Zedek is now the rabbi in residence at St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City. Um, I was transported back there because as Rabbi Zedek began to open the scriptures unto us, uh, I was reminded of what I so valued uh, in that classroom time with Rabbi Shalman. Um, the encounter between Christianity and Judaism is, of course, a fraught one over the centuries. Um, but in, uh, certainly in recent decades, I think our partnership with each other has been strengthened uh, and, and the uh, learning that takes place in a classroom with a rabbi is just different from anything else I've ever experienced. Um, there is, in the encounter with the scripture, in the encounter with Judaism, an encounter with the practitioner of Judaism, one finds this incredible balance between humanity, human decency, human foibles, human humility, along with everything that humanity is capable of when we are at our best, and a encounter with divinity, which is just simply profound. And I'm so looking forward to the word you will bring this morning uh, and to the other lectures in the Barton Clinton Gordy series tonight and tomorrow. Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 1 through 11, I believe it's on page 180 in the Bibles of the Pew. When you have come into the land that the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance to possess, and you possess it and settle in it, you shall take some of the first of all the fruit of the ground which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. You shall go to the priest who was in office at that time and say to him, Today I declare to the Lord your God that I have come into the land that the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. When the priest takes the basket from your hand and sets it down before you, the altar of the Lord your God, before the altar of the Lord your God, you shall make this response before the Lord your God. 
A wandering Aramean was my ancestor. He went down into Egypt and lived there as an alien, few in number. And there he became a great nation, mighty and populous. When the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us by the imposing hard labor on us, we cried to the Lord, the God of our ancestors. The Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction, our toil, and our oppression. The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with a terrifying display of power and with signs and wonders. And he brought us into this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So now I bring the first of the fruit of the ground that you, O Lord, have given me. You shall set it down before the Lord your God and bow down before the Lord your God. Then you, together with the Levites and the aliens who reside among you, shall celebrate with all the bounty that the Lord your God has given to you and to your house. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Many credit the off-sided authority, Anonymous, with the suggestion that before I speak, I'd like to say a few words. So those few words include my overwhelming appreciation for the incredible music to the soul, uh, including, by the way, those of you who might not be uh, up on your Hebrew as well as you used to be. Uh, <laughs> we began with sing a new song unto God, and one of the ways of unpacking that is sing a renewed song unto God, as in are being renewed. Uh, second, uh, Sim Shalom, grant us peace. Max Janowski, also a Chicagoan uh, of some considerable renown. And third, the reference to Rabbi Herman Shalman, where I learned was the first rabbi to be part of this series. He was Mori Avi. Uh, the Hebrew means my parent, my teacher, my parent. He was a father to me, not my biological one, but surely one in spirit. And his spirit is awesome. And I only wish he knew that I am here today continuing the connection of spirit that joins us all together. But I also am grateful for the opportunity to learn and share and grow with all of you. So, as to the nature of my title, how many sermons before we get it right? It comes about tongue-in-cheek because Reverend Wiggs, uh, with all the courtesies and kindnesses already extended, requested a title. <laughs> and that reminds me of a story, as you'll learn if you follow along, most things do about the distinguished rabbi Mordecai Kaplan, who, as the story indicates, taught a class at homiletics, that a fancy word for sermons. On Tuesday, he would offer an example, and on Thursday, there would be a practicum. That is to say, one of the students would present, after which the class would offer a critique. So Thursday arrives, and a student who shall remain nameless enters the class only to realize it's his turn to present, but he hasn't prepared a thing. Fortunately, he believes his prodigious memory will serve him well. So he presents an almost word-to-word -word account of what Dr. Kaplan offered that Tuesday. <laughs> On concluding, Kaplan offered a biting and frightening critique. Professor, that's exactly what you talked about on Tuesday. Yes, but I've grown since Tuesday. <laughs> I find that last line both exciting and challenging. For if we be honest, none of us is done growing yet. 
and that recalls a long ago sermon class from my seminary days, as a classmate asked our professor, how do you come up with a topic every week? The professor's response of the moment, as he insisted, that's not the problem. You only have one, at most two, sermons. The challenge is to find out what it is. And as I look back at some, oh my goodness, 48 years of sermons, it's a variation on one theme. Namely, there is holiness all around us, a sacred dimension in us. Now let's get to work. And is that not the focus of your Lenten observance just begun? To recall and mark and act upon that faith, especially the challenge, get to work. Which fortunately, fortuitously, the Hebrew word happens to be avodah. It also means worship, as in after the service, then the real worship, the real work begins. That said, should you be in the company, an increasing number, alas, who seem to find sermons a not totally effective method of communication, you're welcome to stop listening. <laughs> For the heart of this message is, yes, another variation. Holiness all around us, a sacred dimension in us. Let's get to work. However, I do hope you'll continue with me, not because I'm clever or articulate or learned as you may decide, yay or nay. Rather, I request your engagement in a joyful entanglement, a wrestling match with sacred literature to, as the elegant phrase puts it, to bring the timeless to bear upon the timely. Now, no doubt you are aware the Christian story isn't mine, albeit there are many points of overlap and connection. That means your story is of considerable, even vital interest to me, as well to many who do not claim it as their own. With that in mind, I requested that the lectionary reading for our journey today include the Hebrew Bible selections, as you may be familiar with what some call Old Testament. <laughs> After all, the commemoration, the celebration for the first Sunday in Lent is not part of my religious calendar or inventory. Nonetheless, even as an outsider to that covenant, I hope, hubris at the ready, that some of the reflections to follow may enrich your commemoration and even more importantly, your convictions. So our text describes an elaborate ceremony, one that was part of the triannual festival calendar, meaning the expectation for the people to journey to Jerusalem three times a year, Pesach, Passover, Sukkot, as you may know it, Tabernacles, and Shavuot, often called Pentecost, which is the setting for the ritual we just shared of bringing first fruits to the ancient temple. A brief aside, though you must promise not to tell anyone, I'm not much of a fruit eater. That's clearly not an ideal circumstance for an almost vegetarian, more precisely a pescatarian. To offer elaboration, my family has two versions of how my discomfort with fruit came to be. Facts shared, I was about three years old. And someone, and here's where the stories diverge, I believe that someone was my mom. You know, it's always mom's fault. <laughs> I was hoping that would get a laugh. I meant it to. <laughs> my mother insists it was my grandmother. Whatever and whoever, I was given some bad, that is, spoiled orange juice, after which I refused any and all fruit. Although my foolishness on full display, I imagine chocolate fell into that proscribed category. 
which recalls a, a clever repost about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is the awareness that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom consists in not putting it in fruit salad. <laughs> Returning to the text, uh, the ritual for first fruits included the recitation of a formula, as you heard, that describes our story, the history of a people, quite literally with the intent to inform, shape, and challenge identity. For the point of that ritual wasn't just to suggest matters that happened in some shadowy antiquity. No, the ritual, indeed the entire biblical construct, intends not only an encounter with history, with what was, but also a recognition that these stories, this journey, is with and in ourselves, in our souls. For example, Jewish tradition asserts in every generation a person is obligated to view him or herself as though he or she personally came out of Egypt. But wait a second. I wasn't there. I wasn't a slave in Egypt. What sense is there then other than the recognition that yes, you were, and you are there, here, now, and that must be what we respond to. It's an endlessly relevant call, for there is much that keeps us enslaved, hinders our recognition that there is holiness all around us and a sacred dimension in us. Our task, for as long as we are custodians for the breath of life, is, yes, to get to work. Simply put, the Bible is essential, not merely because these stories happened in a galaxy far, far away, but also because they happen in our time and in us. As example, controversies, and that an understatement, controversies aside, including with his film The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's only appearance in the film is that it is his hand which holds the hammer that nails Jesus to the cross. And don't we all, don't we all at times, too many times, attack God, God forbid, try to kill the goodness, the godness all around us in others and within ourselves. Now, you might argue that's a little too extreme, Rabbi. So consider this far more benign ritual of an annual pilgrimage with first fruits of the upcoming harvest. Such, you may determine, may have had consequence for an earlier time in the development of religion, but beyond historic curiosity, what import may it convey now? After all, we inhabit a world of limited attention spans, a time of been there, done that, time to move on. We need, we require something new, exciting, not the same old, same old, not that boring ceremony again. I've long ago scratched it off my bucket list, but tradition says no, you, we need to do it again, again, and again. So to speak, this requirement, this annual project, like the Lenten observance, remains in effect until you are no longer required, for you have departed our world. And while Jewish tradition no longer includes the biblically described practice, we remember, we record, we reflect, we marked our liturgical calendar on the festival for which we share a name, even with different emphases. In Hebrew, Shavuot means weeks, as in seven times seven weeks plus one day. 
you are likely more familiar with the term Pentecost. It means 50, as in 50 days after the Exodus when the Israelites arrive at Mount Sinai and become a people with a mission. Similarly, 50 days after Easter, the church is born. But the challenge remains, why this practice? Why this, a word used with intent, routine? Albeit, I intend to argue, spoiler alert, understood properly, embraced positively, there may be repetition, but it's nothing that resembles routine, which I suspect is only a doorstep away from the dreaded enemy of many a teenager, and to be honest, with we adults as well, with us adults as well, the declaration, I'm bored, this is boring, I've got nothing to do, every Sunday go to church? Every name a regular routine activity? Not again. In some fashion, I would argue we're all dualists, and I'm going to be elaborating for those of you who may come this evening on that refrain, by which I mean we divide the world into ordinary and extraordinary. So what do we do with the extraordinary? That's easy. We have no choice. Metaphorically, it slaps us across the face and demands our attention. What do we do with the ordinary? That is equally clear. We take it for granted. Which leads me to conclude that if we could somehow take the ordinary for granted less, our lives would be more filled with life. In effect, this ritual, all ritual, may be a response to escape a trap that ensnares too many and too often. We seek the thrilling, the new adventure, the new stuff, the latest model of, in the heartfelt and elusive notion, the illusion that on that path we shall find, if not salvation, at least respite from a restlessness in the soul, a ceaseless wandering and a worrying in ourselves. So my assertion that within the ordinary lies the key to the fullest embrace of joy and wonder and the holiness at the heart of life. Now, I suspect you'll agree that's a, a lovely sentiment. But so what? Consider then, as a prayer book of my community puts it, days pass, years vanish, and we walk sightless among miracles. Elizabeth Barrett Browning, even from a wheelchair, expressed it even more evocatively. Earth's crammed with heaven, and every bush is a fire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. And there are burning bushes scattered randomly through every day. Yet we cannot help ourselves. We ignore them. We take them for granted. So to speak, we understand the aha moments of our lives are incredible. But no one needs instruction to be aware of that. The key is that the ho-hum moments are also, at least they may be, aha moments as well. Times when we see and see clearly that the bush burns unconsumed. All that we need are methods that open a door for us to abide in astonishment, if not at all times, at least more of the time. I began with first fruits. I want to return to that matter now as I am convinced that image provides just one possible key for transformation. But I hope it won't surprise that I want to do so with a story, one true in every detail. 
I had been a rabbi for all of a year in Kansas City, and I was studying with a retired rabbi, Rabbi Gershon Haddis of blessed memory. He could have retired to sainthood, but he retired to a little devilishness as well. <laughs> he happened to be blind, and I would read to him Midrash, rabbinic commentaries, which was a passion we shared. We would learn together, and then after we would finish the learning, then the real teaching began. He said to me on one occasion, Michael, when do you say the Shehechianu prayer? Now, if you get that in there, you may have a Jewish background somewhere. <laughs> the prayer in English is, praised are you, eternal our God, ruler of the universe, who has kept us in life, sustained us, and brought us to this special moment. And I had just gotten out of seminary. I knew more than I was ever going to know again, right? <laughs> Wrong. I gave him the response that we learn in seminary. When you're doing something for the first time, for the first time in season, to clarify, first time you've never done it before, in order to recognize the aha in it, our tradition would say, praise are you eternal, although you do it in Hebrew, the shechion, praise are you eternal our God, rule of the universe, who has kept us in life, sustained us, and brought us to this special moment. First time in season, first night of Hanukkah, you would add to the blessings that prayer, but not the second night, because it's not the first time in season. Clear? Everybody got it? I said to him that. He said, wrong. I said, wait a minute. I just got out of seminary. I know more than I'm ever going to know. And then he said this. I hope you'll recall this phrase. Let your ears hear what your mouth has spoken. When you're doing somebody the first time, for the first time in the season. And then he said to me, it transformed my experience. Michael. When are you not doing something for the first time? And ever since, there's right back here, a little voice. Now, forgive me. He goes, I can't get through one before it's time for the next one, and the next one, and the next one. Now, I'll admit, I'll confess, there are times when it's just background noise, but there are moments when breakthrough and the ground upon which I walk is holy ground. I would like to suggest that you adopt a mantra among the other spiritual practices you may have. That's something like, praise are you God, wow. Praise are you God, wow. Praise are you God, wow, wow, wow. Indeed, may we embrace the moments, more and more moments, to rejoice in the holiness all around us, the sacred dimension in us for time's wasting. Time again for us to get to work. Amen. Amen.